It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, and watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV Plus. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. I'm the founder and CEO of this company. Anything that happens in this company is my responsibility at the end of the day. Elizabeth Holmes took full responsibility for Theranos in 2016 in an interview with NBC. Her view appears to be a bit more nuanced as she fights 11 counts of fraud and conspiracy in a Silicon Valley courtroom. For nearly three months, Holmes has sat attentively, listening to witness after witness, investors, former employees, scientists, and even a retired four-star general testified to deception on a staggering scale and the fabrication of the success of her blood testing technology. Holmes decided to try to reverse the government's narrative by taking the stand in her own defense, the greatest risk a defendant can take at trial. Joining me is Bloomberg legal reporter Joel Rosenblatt, who is in the courtroom for her testimony. How did she appear on the stand? Did you hear her famous deep voice? Many people have asked about that because it's such a curiosity. She does not speak in any kind of irregular or deep voice that we'd heard previously or when she was pitching Theranos. She speaks in what seems to be her natural voice, the way you would imagine, you know, a woman of her age speaks. She had this reputation for being dynamic, charismatic, and dazzling investors. Did that come across on the stand? Yeah. When she first appeared, she was basically pitching her company. The start of her defense was that Theranos is a legitimate company, and they showed videos kind of ripping the top off of her company's blood testing analyzers and really looking at the insides of it and her explaining that. And you could see her almost pitching it the way she pitched it to investors or to Walgreens or Safeway. And so she came across as a saleswoman who very much knew her stuff. You know, she studied chemical engineering before she dropped out of Stanford, and she came across as highly intelligent and pretty calm. I mean, she's clearly rehearsed much of this testimony, but she came across as somebody who knew what she was talking about. Did she ever come out and say the blood testing machine actually worked 
she did say that. I mean, she described it as a kind of continuing work in progress, but that it was working and it was doing what they had hoped it would do, or it was just at least very close. She emphasized definitely in the beginning, and this changed, but that it was working. She didn't make the claim that it worked just exactly as she had advertised. In other words, she didn't outright lie and say it did the hundreds or even thousands of tests that Theranos had claimed that the machine could do. But she explained how it did work. She at one point explained the FDA approval for one particular test. Was her main defense then when she said coming up short is not a crime? That's where she ultimately got to. But it took a very dramatic turn about why the company failed when she started pointing the blame at other people, including her lab director, and her ex-boyfriend and the former president of Theranos, Sonny Balwani. A lot of the questions before trial were what she would say about her relationship with Balwani. So what did she say? Well, the testimony started, and it, it appeared as if she wasn't going to go down that road. It almost got mundane. The testimony got kind of technical and mundane. And then I think it was on day three of her testimony where she explained, first of all, that she was raped while she was a student at Stanford. And then that quickly turned into meeting Sonny Balwani just before, actually, she went to Stanford and that she then disclosed this rape to Sonny and how he then took her under his arm and showed her how to become an entrepreneur. But he did this in a way that she described as almost kind of cult-like, dictating, for example, what she should eat how much she should sleep, who she could talk to, whether she could see her friends and discouraging her from seeing her family, and really very controlling. And so in this way, started pointing the finger at Sunny Balwani as the person who kind of really made her perform at Theranos the way he wanted her to, the way he thought she should. Now, Balwani has denied her allegations of abuse, but he's being tried separately next year and can't be called to testify at this trial. Did she have any kind of evidence to back up her claims? Well, that's what's really missing from this. So she just described it. What she also described was sexual assault by Sonny. And she said that that happened kind of throughout the course of their 10-year relationship. And so she does have proof of that in the sense that she has contemporaneous notes that she took on her iPhone or kind of iMessage notes that she took about how she felt after she was sexually assaulted by Sonny. This was kind of a shocking testimony, and it was upsetting. She was crying on the stand as she explained it. And so she has those notes. She also has handwritten notes from Sonny kind of telling her how she should behave. Now, what she doesn't have, and what's kind of a glaring omission, is she doesn't have anything from Sonny saying, you should tell investors, or you should tell Safeway, or you should tell anybody that our company is performing these tests that it can't perform, or that we are achieving this revenue that we don't have, and that you should doctor reports endorsing Theranos technology. She doesn't have any of that, and that's what she's charged with. So that's a, a problem, I think, for her defense. So she testified that Balwani was controlling, but she admitted that he didn't control the statements she made as the company's CEO. Well, that's, I think, the most interesting part of the testimony. So her lawyer asked her, you know, did Sonny force you to make the statements to investors or to journalists? 
or to her board? Or did he control your actions in your dealings with partners Walgreens and Safeway who were deceived, clearly? And her response to that was that he did not. But in the almost the very next sentence, she said, in fact, she wasn't so sure. I have the quote. She said, I don't know. He impacted everything about who I was, and I don't fully understand that. So it's a gray area. And I think what she's doing is she's putting in jurors' mind that Sonny was there and he was oppressive and controlling. She's not going to go on record and make it so plain to say, he made me lie to investors. But now jurors have this in their mind that you know he was a strong force in the background and a really manipulative and you know horrible man is her testimony that had to be at play and had to be influencing her. What about the forging of documents and the use of pharmaceutical companies' logos on documents? Did she link that to him? She has not linked that to him. And this is another aspect of her defense, which is a real mix of different kind of strategies. She didn't blame that on him. And in fact, on her direct testimony, she admitted that she was the one who did that. So she admitted that she lifted the logos of Pfizer and Sharing Plow and put them on reports that purported to endorse Theranos technology. And this is a reason that Walgreens bought in to the technology and adopted it. So she said that she wished she had done that differently. So this is another dimension of her defense where she's expressing regret and remorse. Now, on her cross-examination, the prosecutor dug deeper into that. You know, it wasn't just the lifting of logos. It was also the manipulation of text and copy in those reports where she doctored those documents to really make the endorsements much more pronounced. And she had to explain that she did that too. She was responsible for that. So the apology worked. It was kind of effective on her own direct testimony. Under cross-examination, it looked much, much worse. Did you see any reaction from the jurors, especially when she was crying? Sometimes you can see a juror nodding or patting their eyes. This jury has been really hard to read. They seem very studious. They're taking notes and they're displaying, as far as I can tell, just kind of almost no expression, just really careful observers, but not betraying kind of what they're thinking or feeling. I personally felt like her explanations of abuse were credible. They seemed believable. But as to what the jurors are thinking, I can't tell. She's confronted with so much wrongdoing. There's just so much evidence against her that I think that's what's going on here. It's a multifaceted, a multi-pronged defense where she has to own up to some of this. I mean, you can't just deny it or point the finger or blame Sonny for all of it. There's some of it that she just did, you know, that lifting of the logos and actually manipulating the copy. She did that. And so what do you do with that? I mean, I don't think there's anything left to do but say, you know, I wish I'd done it differently. The government has to prove her intent to commit these crimes. How does her defense negate intent? Where she's pointing to Balwani, the argument is that I was so under his control that I couldn't have formed the intent to defraud investors. I think that if she's going to go kind of squarely down that road, she needs a psychological expert to endorse that, to explain that somebody who's undergone this trauma is in some way unable to distinguish to some important degree right from wrong and was maybe deluded. 
this trial has been full of these kind of useful breaks, and there's a big pause here now where her lawyers, I think, get to reassess how they've done and what the effect has been and decide whether or not her defense without pointing to Balwani or with at least kind of putting him in the sphere of her defense is enough, and they've done enough kind of otherwise to cast some doubt on her intent or maybe just pry one juror loose, if that's been enough, or if they need to now bring in this psychological expert to go more squarely down the road of blaming Sonny Balwani. Her cross-examination continues next week, and I know you'll be in the courtroom for that. Thanks, Joel. That's Joel Rosenblatt, Bloomberg Legal Reporter. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to show you how to make a gift from a video and put your gifts on a Giphy. You can make them out of movies, video games, donuts, riches, or your own human experiences. GIF. 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 No matter how you pronounce it, those short video loops of cats furiously typing, dancing football players, or even this year's turkey pardon were the final straw for U.K. regulators. It's the first time a major global regulator has ordered a Silicon Valley giant to unwind a deal after completion. Joining me is Jennifer Ree, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Litigation Analyst. So this was a kind of stealth deal. Facebook bought Giphy in 2020 without notifying regulators. Right. So, you know, regulators across globally, U.K., U.S., Europe, they each have rules and thresholds about the deals that actually have to get notified to the competition authorities and can't close prior to the competition authorities having a chance to take a look. 
And if they're of a certain size, there's no need to do that. Legally, you can sign it, you can close it immediately, and that's what happened with this deal. Now, there's some allegations that they did a little bit of finagling with the revenues in order to fall below that threshold, but nonetheless, it did fall below the threshold. They didn't need to notify it legally, and they were able to legally close it. But on the other hand, U.S. and U.K., as we see here, and even Europe, have the right still to challenge consummated deals. It isn't done often, but it is within their charters, it is within the law, and they have the right to do that. And in fact, that's what the UK's competition authority did here. And Facebook did that while it was under investigation by antitrust regulators for buying companies in order to eliminate them as potential threats to its monopoly power. Yes, very much so. (laughs) Pretty nervy on the part of Facebook, but that is exactly right. And, you know, UK turned around and fairly quickly after the deal was completed, issued what's called a whole separate order called an initial enforcement order, where they basically said, look, we want to look into this. And so we're ordering you not to integrate. You can't integrate this company because it needs to be divestible at the end of the day, at the end of our investigation. And Facebook actually appealed that. They went to the competition appeal tribunal, which is like a court, and they were denied. So that order went into effect. And since June of 2020, Facebook has had to hold Giphy separate and not integrate the company. So why did the CMA order Facebook to sell Giphy? What were its reasons? So it did a really long investigation, and there were two separate areas where the CMA had concerns. They felt that the deal would result in a substantial lessening of competition in display advertising where they felt Giphy was a potential competitor. On the social media side, they basically felt that with control of Giphy, it would allow Facebook to disadvantage some of its social media competitors. So in other words, it could prevent Twitter or TikTok or Snapchat from accessing this library of GIFs, and people like using them. And all of these social media platforms are about user engagement. And so what that would do, according to the CMA, is drive more users into Facebook and away from some of its rivals because they like the ability to use these GIFs and have access to them. The other thing they said Facebook could do is actually demand money or consumer data from these rivals in exchange for the use of the gift library. So that was one area where they were concerned about what we think about as foreclosure or a vertical concern. The other concern was more about potential competition down the road. Before Facebook acquired Giphy, Giphy was starting its own kind of display advertising business. It was allowing companies to sort of brand a GIF. So maybe you could use a GIF that's kind of a dancing Pepsi Cola can, and it's an ad to drive brand awareness. And when Facebook bought Giphy, but before that UK order went into effect, Facebook shut down that business. And what the CMA said is, well, that business is another option for advertisers outside of Facebook to advertise a product online. And this was Facebook shutting down that potential competitor in the display advertising market. And it was for those two reasons that they determined that this would be a deal that would substantially lessen competition and was illegal. Is this the first time that a regulator has ordered a Silicon Valley giant to unwind a deal after completion? Yes, so far it is. Now, other deals outside of Silicon Valley companies have actually been ordered to unwind post-acquisition and have done that. But in this area, we're talking about our big tech platforms. This is the first There is an ongoing effort in the U.S. by the Federal Trade Commission to force Facebook to sell off Instagram or WhatsApp or both, and that's weaving its way through the courts right now. Is Facebook going to appeal this? They can. They have four weeks to do it, and they would appeal to the competition tribunal, 
Now, it would be an uphill climb for Facebook right now. The CMA statistics in front of that tribunal are very good. They've won almost 70% of all merger appeals since 2010. And in the last couple of years, there were two consummated deals CMA ordered to be unwound, and they both appealed, and the tribunal affirmed the CMA's decisions in both. So certainly, you know, it's worth a stab for Facebook, and they probably will, but it would be an uphill road. Is the FTC investigating the Giphy purchase? So it might be. There were some reports that the FTC and DOJ were discussing this and that one of them probably is investigating. We don't know which one and we don't know where they are in an investigation. Thanks, Jen. That's Jennifer Ree, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Litigation Analyst. Coming up, Elizabeth Holmes takes the stand in her own defense. This is Bloomberg. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And please join us every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time for the Bloomberg Law Show. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.